Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, as we come before your throne of grace this morning, Lord, teach us, teach us, Holy Spirit, what you would have us to understand and know and apply in our lives today from this passage in Hebrews 4. Lord, that we can come to the throne of grace, what the throne of grace is effective for and how we can find Jesus there. So, Lord, now be with us. Push aside anything, Lord, that's getting in the way as we try to listen and understand and learn your word this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, our passage today is in Hebrews 4, verses 14 through 16. If you want to go ahead and turn there, it's going to be on page 1198 if you have a Bible from the pew back. Hebrews 4, verses 14 through 16. So the sermon is titled, Resting in Our Great High Priest. Let's read from Hebrews 4, verse 14 through 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. The writer of the book of Hebrews is appealing to the Jewish Christians who are thinking about going back to Judaism. They've decided to follow Jesus, but will they go back? Hebrews emphasizes the superiority of Jesus to the angels and to the prophets, and in today's passage, particularly Aaron, the high priest. Jesus is not only our king, he is our savior, and he is our great high priest. In Hebrews chapter 3 and 4, resting in Jesus is emphasized. This is resting in saving faith. This is resting in Jesus as an ongoing act of faith. Resting in Jesus then involves preserving or persevering in the faith, in the person and work of Jesus Christ. This, as we've heard this morning, is the rest of God through Jesus Christ that we are called to. In Hebrews, we're reminded of God's promises, His provision, and that He preserves us as saints to the end. We are encouraged and commanded to hold fast to Jesus by the means of grace on this long, hard road home to heaven. Now, let's read from Hebrews together. We're going to start in chapter 3, verse 12. 
And we're going to go through chapter 5, verse 10. Now, we could be reading the whole book of Hebrews for context. So this is a, this is a treat. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12, be page 1197. Take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ, if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. While it is said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me. For who provoked him when they had heard? Indeed, did not all those who came out of Egypt, led by Moses... And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were not able to enter because of unbelief. Chapter 4. Therefore, let us fear if while a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you may seem to come short of it, For, indeed, if we have had good news preached to us just as they also, but the word they heard did not profit them, because it was not united by faith in those who heard. For we who have believed enter that rest, just as he who said, I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has said somewhere concerning the seventh day, And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage, they shall not enter my rest. Therefore, since it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly had good news preached to them failed to enter because of disobedience, he again fixes a certain day. Today, saying through David, after so long a time, just as has been said before, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, he would not have spoken of another day after that. So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works, as God did from his. Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest so that no one will fall through following the same example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, in piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both, both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do." our passage for today. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for if we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Chapter 5. For every high priest has taken from among men is appointed on behalf of men in things pertaining to God in order to offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. 
He can deal gently with the ignorant and the misguided since he himself also is beset with weaknesses. And because of it, he is obligated to offer sacrifices for sins as for the people, so also for himself. And no one takes the honor to himself, but receives it when he is called by God, even as Aaron was. So also Christ did not glorify himself so as to become high priest, but he who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you just as he says also in another passage, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, he offered up both prayers and supplications with loud crying and tears to the one able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his piety. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. And having been made perfect, he became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation, being designated by God as the high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Here ends the reading of the Lord. Now, that could just be a sermon in itself, right? And we could just go. Well, let's talk a little bit about that passage 14 to 16. Such deep theology for us this morning. In verse 16, if you look at it, we see that there's a command that we are to draw near in confidence to the throne of grace in a time of need to receive mercy and grace. So this brings up three questions that we're going to answer this morning in your outlines. First, what makes the throne of grace effective? Second, why can we draw near to the throne of grace? And third, how can this help us persevere to the, um, in our saving faith? How can we persevere in our saving faith through this? Now, I want to acknowledge the additional insights I received in this passage in preparation of this sermon by Pastor Jeff Rich, my professor Kevin Bowder, authors John Calvin and John MacArthur. First, with your outline, what makes the throne of grace effective? The answer is the high priesthood of Jesus Christ. The high priesthood of Jesus Christ. Let's look at it in verse 14 of chapter 4. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. We can make three observations from this verse. First, we are commanded to hold fast our confession. This is our confession of faith in Jesus, that for once and for all, that He is our high priest that has made an offering for our sin, who has brought us into redemption and into His righteousness. Second, that Jesus is the Son of God. He is fully God. Jesus took on human flesh through the incarnation to live a perfect life of obedience, earning redemption through his sacrificial death. He then ascended and he intercedes for us in the throne room of heaven. In this way, Jesus is said to have passed through the heavens to redeem his people of their sins and our due penalty. Third, we see from this verse that Jesus is not only the Son of God, but he's also the high priest. 
he is able to make a once and for all sacrifice to atone for all the sins of humanity. The Jewish brethren listening in this passage are all too familiar with the importance of the Levitical priesthood and the tabernacle to atone for their sins. And this is where they would go to worship the Shekinah glory of God. But they needed to be reminded that Jesus is the greater high priest that supersedes even Aaron. Specifically, they needed to be reminded that the shadow of the earthly tabernacle has faded away. And instead, in its place, we have the throne room of heaven where true worship is conducted through Jesus Christ, who is our greater high priest. As Jason read in Hebrews 10, 11, the daily ministering and offerings, they could not take away sin. Under the old covenant, only the high priest could enter the holy of holies and only on the day of atonement to sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat. This was a temporary covering at best for their sins. However, the high priest only enter the Holy of Holies after he had made a sacrifice, an offering for himself, for his own sins, for he was a sinner. The high priest was only allowed to be in the presence of the Shekinah glory while making that sacrifice. This was but a shadow that pointed to Jesus Christ, the high priest who would come one time with the perfect sacrifice on the cross to enter the holiest of holies in the throne room of God and to sit down once and for all at the Father's right hand. This is captured for us at the beginning of the book of Hebrews. Read it with me. Flip back one page. Hebrews 1, starting in verse 1. Now listen. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers, in the prophets, in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, whom also he made the world. Through, excuse me, and he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much better than angels, as he has inherited a more excellent name than they. Jesus had made the perfect atonement for God, which God's plan required and which God unveiled He was to come to earth, sacrificing himself to redeem a people for his personal possession, to return fallen mankind to the way God had designed us in perfection to glorify and worship him. Now, the question is, do you believe this here today? that Jesus has completed his work on the cross, that we are now redeemed, our sins are washed away, and that you have the righteousness of Christ. That you can now stand in the throne room of God in the Almighty's presence. Now, perhaps you see your sin, your brokenness, and sometimes you even lose hope and wonder if you're even saved. The Christian brethren in this passage, they're struggling as well. 
They have the same doubts. And they desperately needed to be stirred up to remember the promises of God in Christ. They understand who Jesus is, but they need to move beyond the basics to really see in full color the superiority of the new covenant and the wonder of Jesus. The author of Hebrews does this by emphasizing Jesus as both the prophet and the high priest, a priesthood that is much greater than Aaron's priesthood. So now the author, having made the argument that Jesus is better than Aaron as the high priest, he's looked to the mercy seat once in all sacrifice. He now moves forward, attempting to prove on the basis of the Old Testament Scripture that Jesus is better than Aaron, that he is superior to the prophets, the angels, Moses, and Joshua. And this is where the Jewish Christians were having doubts. Is Jesus Jesus really my priest? Can he really understand my sins? Can I draw close? They were having doubts. Is it worth it? We've left Judaism. Is it worth it? We've been kicked out of our society. We are out of the synagogue. We have been put out. Perhaps we should go back to Judaism to avoid the persecution and the seizure of our property. No, you can't go back. Jesus is the only way. He is much better. Jesus is worth it. Aaron is seen as the pinnacle of importance among the servants of God of Israel. But the key reason for them to see Jesus better than Aaron as the high priest is that the Messiah Jesus has passed through the heavens. So in this verse here, this passing through the heavens, this is a complete action with ongoing results for salvation. Jesus passed through the heavens being fully God. He left the throne room in heaven. He humbled himself, taking on the form of a man, adding to his divine nature a human nature. The creator became the created. Amazing. Amazing that he would do this. All in order to be a sacrifice for us. For human beings who had turned away in complete depravity, we choose sin willingly over God. Finishing his work of redemption on the cross, Jesus then ascended, passing through the heavens and is now seated in the throne room of God, fully man, fully God, interceding for us until the end, keeping us in faith to the end. Can the great prophets, the priests of old, Even Aaron claimed this? No. No, the Jewish Christians in this passage, and we here today, we need to be reminded of this truth, that Jesus is our great high priest, even greater than Aaron, and that mankind was made to worship God through Jesus Christ, the Son. You see, the Jewish Christians, they did desire to worship God. The message that they need to be reminded of this morning was that any worship that's directed through earthly priests, earthly altars, right, through Judaism or any other man-made religion where we try to do things ourselves, 
would be an act of apostasy. In the new covenant, the only sufficient worship is now through the power of the Holy Spirit to Jesus Christ, who is the great high priest who resides in the throne room of God in heaven. Do we realize the amazing position we have as broken sinners, often acting at enmity with God? We're being granted an audience of worship in the throne room of heaven. This morning when we sang those songs, we read those psalms, we were in the throne room of heaven. How amazing is that? That our God would allow that. This is what makes the throne of grace effective. It's the high priesthood of Jesus Christ. Now, answering that question, we'll move to number two in your outline. Why can we draw near to the throne of grace? We can draw near to the throne of grace because of the human personhood of Jesus Christ. The human personhood of Jesus. Now, with the Jewish Christians seeing the higher priesthood of Jesus over Aaron, the writer now shifts to sympathize, to see how Jesus can sympathize with our human weaknesses even more than Aaron. Aaron sympathized, but not like Jesus can. This is the human personhood that we see in verse 15. Flip over to Hebrews 4, verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. So it was necessary for Jesus to be tempted even though he was without sin. In order for Jesus to take upon the penalty of our sins, to redeem us from our fallen condition, to pay our eternal punishment, he needed to become a man in the flesh, and live a perfect life. God the Son came down from His righteous position, creator of all things, to live in this broken, marred, cursed world of fallen humanity. The world that we live in today. Think about it. The awe of that amazing truth that our all-powerful creator God would take on the form of his creation to redeem us? God taking on flesh to fulfill his role as the son of God is the reality of the personhood of Jesus Christ. Flip over to Hebrews 5, verse 7 and 8. We'll be reminded of this. Hebrews 5, 7 and 8. In the days of his flesh, he offered up both prayers and supplications with loud crying and tears to the one who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his piety. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. He learned obedience. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, completely equal to God the Father and God the Holy Spirit, eternal from all times, had to learn obedience through his suffering? You see, Christ still had to earn the right to represent humanity. And this was not easy. He did not have to endure any less temptation because he was the God-man. In fact, it's just the opposite. He endured much more temptation 
than any mere man ever has or ever will. Christ underwent far worse suffering than any Old Testament priest, even Aaron, could comprehend. We see this in Philippians 2, 6 through 8. You can go ahead and flip there. Philippians 2, 6 through 8. That would be a page 1175 in your Bible. Page 1175, Philippians 2, 6 through 8. Now watch the three downward steps here. Starting in verse 6. Who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So there's three great downward steps that we see in this passage in order to redeem us. First, he denied himself in that Jesus did not think of equality with God, something so important that he needed to keep, something so valuable that he couldn't live without it. He left his abode in heaven and he came down to earth into this broken flesh of a man. The creator became the created, but that's not all. Second, we see, he emptied himself, and we call this term kenosis. Now, this does not mean that he emptied himself of his divine attributes. No, Jesus is the God-man, fully God and fully man. He became a slave for us. He received the form of a slave, submitting to the Father during his earthly ministry. He became in human likeness, taking on complete human nature so that he could save us from our own sin. This is the incarnation of Jesus. Kids, this is what we celebrate at Christmas. Jesus coming in the form of an infant. Oh, he is fully God, though, and he has entered the human race so that he could deny himself, so that he could empty himself, so that he could be humbled himself, third, to the point of death on the cross. Jesus was humbled no humiliation that any other man could bear in regard to his human nature alone. Why did all of this matter? As one scholar puts it, quotes, Christ's death was not just violent, it was judicial and it was shameful. It was cursed, close quotes. What Jesus faced in our judgment, none of us can ever fathom. But the steps going down lead to the steps going back up in Philippians. Putting away sin and death forever, Jesus was then highly exalted. He perfected our human nature. He never sinned. He finished our sin. Sin and death could not hold him. Jesus is not merely restored to his pre-incarnate glory, but the glory of the second eternal person of the Godhead, now in the throne room of heaven, who triumphs over sin, death, and the devil as our Savior and our Redeemer. Amen? This is the passage that the Jewish Christians needed to be reminded of on their long, hard road to heaven. And we need to be reminded of it this morning as well. 
It is Jesus' perfect humanity that provides for his priestly ability to carry our hurts, our burdens, our sufferings, and yes, our doubts. Our doubts. Let's consider now how Jesus was tempted and suffered in all the ways that we are so that he can fully sympathize with our brokenness. Jesus being tempted in all the ways that we are means that he suffered through the same struggles, same testings, the same tragedies as man, so that he can be sympathetic and understanding as our great high priest. When we hurt, we're depressed, we're strongly tempted, Jesus can sympathize with our weakness. One theologian says it this way, quotes, no one understands like Jesus, close quotes. You see, Jesus is not only merciful, but he is faithful. And he perfectly understands what you are going through. As one theologian would call it, quotes, an unequaled capacity for sympathizing with us in every danger and every trial and every situation that comes our way because he has been through it all himself. Close quotes. Temptation for Jesus at one point became so intense that he sweat drops of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane right before he was arrested, right before he was beaten, right before he was crucified. As fully divine and fully human, Jesus could not sin in regards to his divine nature. And yet, in regards to his human nature, he was tempted to the point of sweating blood. The ability to sin in regards to his divine nature is what made his temptations and trials infinitely more difficult, so much harder for him to endure than any man or any priest, or any prophet. As one scholar puts it, quotes, when we resist sin, it gets worse for us, doesn't it? Until we eventually give in. Christ is the only person who never gave in to temptation and sin. He knows more about being tempted and about the deceitfulness of sin than any mere human ever could. No, Christ does not approve of our sins, but he understands what leads us to commit them. Close quotes. How true that is. So picture it with me. The pressure keeps building and building and building, and there's no way to release it. Now, we know what that's like. When we're under temptation, it builds, starts small, gets a hold of us, we engage with it, we think about it, we consider that sin, well, maybe it's not so bad. It builds and builds and builds, and then we give in. We give in, and the pressure is released. Jesus never gave in. That pressure was never released. Never why he went off to pray with his Father so much. Did you notice that? Jesus went away to pray to his Father alone, so many times with the stress, the temptation, and the pressure that he was feeling. Now, maybe you're sitting here today and you're saying, no one can possibly know, Jim, the temptations and the trials that I face. Well, 
I can't. You're right. None of us really can. Jesus can. He is our great high priest. He has experienced all your temptations to the maximum. He and he alone can truly sympathize with your weaknesses. Follow his lead. Seek after him. Find Jesus, and he will carry you through that temptation. He is your strength so that you do not have to yield to that temptation. Go and pray to him. Pray to the Father. The Jewish brethren here in Hebrews, they really needed to hear this message, and we need to hear that today as well. We need to be reminded that the onslaught against God in our community and in our flesh, that God is righteous, He is sinless, He is perfect, and it's these same divine attributes that require the nature of Jesus Christ to experience the pain and the temptation He had to, but yet still be completely apart from sin. Jesus never had the slightest taint of sin. Never. He always desired to do his Father's will. How about you? Yet, he understands temptation to sin more than any of us ever could. This is why he is our great high priest and he intercedes for us. Hebrews 12, 3-4 states, For consider him who has endured such hostility by the sinners against himself, so that you may not grow weary and lose heart. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. So, let's not grow weary and lose heart. We've seen first what makes the throne of grace effective, and it's the high priesthood of Jesus Christ. Second, we see why we can now draw near, and that's his human personhood. This leads us to our final point today. Third, how can this help us maintain faith in Jesus? And it's through Jesus' helpful presence, the helpful presence of Jesus Christ. Look at it with me in verse 16. Flip back to Hebrews 4, verse 16. Therefore, just we're picking up where we started beginning of the sermon. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus suffered like we do and beyond. The writer of Hebrews is calling the Jewish Christians to come to Jesus with confidence for grace and mercy. Do we need some of that grace and mercy today? Yes, we do. Amen. Just as the sinners are justified in Christ, we need to continue an ongoing coming to Jesus to receive that mercy and grace that will help us persevere to the end, that we will not give up, we will not turn back to our ways. The Holy Spirit is making an appeal here to anyone who is attempting to turn back, considering their way of life that they came from, their unbelief. Now, They are tempted to turn back from the truth because of hardships, trials, and the persecutions that they were enduring, that we endure. They're thinking that life as a believer, come on, you've been there, life as a believer is just too hard sometimes, isn't it? We have unmet expectations, even as believers. Wasn't life supposed to be easier, happier, 
at least less suffering as a Christian. They're plagued with doubts about their conviction in Jesus as their Messiah. Will they fall back to Judaism? Will you fall back to your former way of life? In some ways, it was more rewarding. It was easier. At least we weren't plagued with knowing our sins and the depth of our sin. Amen? I mean, there's bliss in not knowing sometimes. But we do know Jesus Christ has called us. We see our sin. We can't block it out anymore. We can't live in bliss. No, no, we need to, leave, to live where God has called us, and we need the strength of His cross, the strength of His throne to carry us through. Will they hold their confession of the finished work of Jesus Christ? Will you? I think the answer is yes. The passage in Hebrews today is a call to the perseverance and the faithfulness to those who are Christians, that they would see their continual need to draw near to the throne of grace to receive that mercy. See, it doesn't matter the extent of your sin. It doesn't matter how messed up and dirty you feel sitting here right now today, that sin is still present in your life. Jesus promises all, all who continue to come to him for rest will receive mercy and grace. Oh, how wonderful that is. This is the perfect provision made by the high priest, Jesus Christ who once and all, once and for all, made the full atonement for sins and sprinkled his blood on that mercy seat in the throne room of heaven. It is the very throne of grace that we can now come to. And we can come with complete confidence and assurance in the promises of God that he will keep us to the end. Now, before we close, notice the phrase in time of need in verse 16 so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need or in time of need. This is this idea of seasonal help or help in a good time. This is this concept of ongoing, loving, caring, understanding of Jesus Christ. This is when He carries you because you can't even walk. He helps you to turn and trust Him when you want to give in to temptation. He carries you through the testings and the trials and the suffering and the tragedies on this long, hard road home to heaven. So I encourage you here today, draw close to the throne of Christ so that temptation does not overtake you. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says this, listen. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond which you are able but with the temptation will provide a way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. One can think about giving up and going back, but then hear the truth about Jesus and understand more and even press on with new conviction. Jesus, our high priest, our Savior, and our King, He knows our temptations and our desires. He knows what brings us into sin but he also knows what brings us into Christ's likeness. May we see the joys and the eternal life with the Shekinah glory, and may we run the race that's set before us, awaiting Christ's return. So in conclusion this morning, we've seen that the heart of the passage here in Hebrews 4, 14 through 16 is really the provision 
of Jesus Christ for the doubting believer. And we are all doubting believers at some level. We need the provision of Jesus Christ. Continue to come to the throne room. We saw that Jesus Christ makes the throne room of grace effective because he is the high priesthood. That the tabernacle was but a picture of the throne room in heaven. That he passed through the heavens, that he made it. And since you are connected to him, guess what? You will make it too. Second, we saw the human personhood of Jesus Christ. That's why we get to draw near to the throne, because of his personhood, because of his, his humanity. He sympathizes with our weakness and our feebleness. He was tempted beyond all imagination, but he always did his Father's will. He was sinless with respect to his whole person. He gladly restores us in right fellowship. He has an unending compassion for us, and he knows our weaknesses, and he empathizes with our sinful state as our high priest. And third, we saw the helpful presence of Jesus Christ. This is how we can persevere in saving faith, through the helpful presence of Jesus Christ, by drawing near to him. And this is the amazing part as we draw near. We are called into his presence to approach the throne of grace for both salvation and for continued help as we face trials and testing. God provides mercy from that throne of grace for salvation, but he also provides continued grace to live in confidence, growing in Christ-likeness. God is the author and the finisher of our salvation. We rest completely on his promises for eternal security. So we worship God the Father through the Son, for He is our Redeemer, our King, and our High Priest. So the most important question that you can ask yourself here today is, are you a believer in Jesus Christ? Do you profess and possess belief in Jesus Christ? Does your life show that you are dependent completely on your faith in the completed works of Jesus Christ? Are you completely faithful to Christ to find your way home for your salvation and for him to keep you to the end? Today is the day of salvation. There's no promise of tomorrow. And the more warnings you hear, the more of the gospel that you understand and recognize, the more you are at risk. Turn, turn from your sin and turn to the Lord. Come to him today. Bend the knee to Jesus Christ. And for the doubting believer, apply the means of grace, which is meditating on his inspired word, which is to be in prayer and in Christian fellowship here within the church. You have a responsibility. You have to be deliberate in your growth in Jesus Christ so that the light of Christ shines through you so you have an opportunity to share the gospel to all those who would see Christ through you. Oh, and you need to come along, brothers and sisters, so that we grow in Christ's likeness together, sharing and carrying the burdens with Jesus. Draw close to the throne of grace, for Jesus, our great high priest, ever waits to intercede for you. So let's end with Hebrews 10. Flip over there, Hebrews 10, 19 through 25, where we started. Hebrews 10, verse 19 through 25. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, 
by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is, his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Communion servers, if you can come forward, and musicians, as I close the sermon with a prayer, and we'll get ready for the family meal. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, <clears throat> what a great passage. Thank you, Lord, for the reminder that Jesus is our great high priest, that he is our Messiah, that he understands our struggles, our pains, that he has paid the price. He has earned our righteousness, that he can then give his righteousness to us, and he takes upon our sins, that we can be a gift to him in heaven for all eternity as his people. Oh, Lord, we pray that if anyone doesn't know that here this morning, Lord, that you would convict them of this truth, that you would show them, that you would call them, and you would help one of us to come alongside, Lord, and disciple them. And Lord, those of us that are struggling on this hard road home to heaven, oh, Lord, help us. Help us to not forget from the throne of grace, you offer grace and mercy to us in a time of need that we can come completely broken and humble and dependent, which is how you want us, completely focused on your faith. Nothing of ourselves and all of you that we would then grow in Christ through your body, through this word, through our prayers. Oh, Lord, Heavenly Father, Holy Spirit, come. Come now, work in our lives and show us that we can draw near to Jesus Christ. Lord, now as we get ready to draw near in a family meal, a communion, Lord, that we get to share in remembrance that you are connected and that we have been saved. We have been saved into Christ, into you. Lord, help us to commune with you, to share our hearts with you, to feel your closeness, and to see the Holy Spirit work in our hearts. We pray this in your name. Through your